head into the Ringerverse to stay up to date with all things superheroes and nerd culture entertainment. Hosted by a rotating lineup of superfans at the Ringer, including Mallory Rubin and Van Lathan, shows will provide instant reactions to blockbuster releases, insightful backstories on canon, and mind-bending theories, as well as fresh takes on the latest news and rumors. Check out the Ringerverse on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. It's New York, New York, presented by FanDuel. The MLB season is in full swing, and you can step up to the plate with FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Parlay Hub, filtered by odds, sport, and bet type to easily find the most popular parlays and same-game parlays all on one page. Plus, bet the live same-game parlays for every MLB game and track your game and bets live with box scores and play-by-play. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of Major League Baseball. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus, 18 plus in D.C. and present in select states. Gambling problem, call 100 Gambler or visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by Thomas's. Thomas's presents Technique with Tom. Slicing an English muffin with a butter blade? Boulder Dash. Just pull apart with your hands and marvel in the nooks and crannies splendor. For each one is unique like a snowflake. Thomas's. Huzzah! A toast to breakfast. Let's roll, baby. Welcome in. It is a Sunday edition of New York, New York with yours truly. JJ Jastrzemski, we are right here on the Ringer Podcast Network. And this is actually, I think, the first time in show history where we are coming off doing a special Saturday show that we ended up posting and we had no choice. We had to do it because, you know, the Mets made some big news and brought in the ready-made managerial candidate, of course, in Buck Showalter. So, you know, no days off for the New York, New York crew. We had it up. You guys were great on Groon Room. And now we set the stage for what was another losing Sunday. What else is new? Another losing Sunday for the New York football locals. And where do I begin? I'm going to start with the more bleak and the more hopeless situation. That, of course, is the New York Giants. And look, The highlight of the giant day, basically, was this idea of getting a soda if you were a season ticket holder. Not for every fan. Basically, for a fan who was registered and had, you know, the PSA and the ticket license and all that mumbo-jumbo. They probably didn't want to give it out to 65 to 70% of the Cowboy fans that showed up at MetLife Stadium. But, you know, I'm thinking about it. And things could change in the NFL. A new GM could change things. A big draft can change things. A Russell Wilson trade can change things. But look around the NFL. Think about situations. Draft picks. Cap space. Talent on the roster. Quarterback in place. Overall offensive and defense talent in place. The Giants got to be one of the most hopeless situations across the NFL. No exaggeration. Find me situations that are worse. Like, Jacksonville is a dumpster fire. They're going to have the number one pick. They at least have a quarterback 
that you feel good about building around. And the hope is if they get it right, the quarterback grows, flourishes, and you got a guy who could be a transcendent talent. Giants don't have that. It was sad watching them again on Sunday. They don't score points. Now, I have to give the head coach at least a little speckle of credit because I've been roasting them all year for punting and coaching scared and coaching conservative. Today, Joe Judd actually coached with a little bit of chutzpah. He actually coached with a sense of aggressiveness. One time it ended up working out. He got the big run with Devontae Booker. And, you know, I tweeted it out because I'm fair and balanced. Can't argue otherwise here on this show. I wanted to tip my cap. If I'm going to roast a guy all year, I got to be fair when he does something that I actually like. And somebody saw my Twitter page and was like, JJ, don't worry. They're not going to score a touchdown anyway. Sure enough, you have the Devontae Booker play and no touchdown is scored. Glennon is an embarrassment. I mean, you could find 50 quarterbacks in the league who are going to throw it better than Mike Glennon. And I know protections were tough at times. And I know the Dallas Cowboys can get after the quarterback and they got playmakers on defense. I mean, Mike Glennon basically is 13 to 24 going 100, under 100 yards with three picks. That's embarrassing. The Giants might as well start Jake Fromm the remainder of the year. I mean, not that he's the end-all, be-all, not that he's the answer. I just can't watch Mike Glennon any longer. And I think most Giant fans would feel the exact same way. You know what continues to be, though, this sad, frustrating, depressing state of affairs with the franchise? Every time you watch Saquon Barkley on Sunday, you're reminded of how big a failure the pick was. There's a select few of Giant fans who will still defend the pick to the day, probably still dreaming about what Dave Gettleman said was a Hall of Fame gold jacket type of player. Here's what I know about Saquon Barkley. He don't look like he has as much burst, as much energy, as much explosiveness as Devontae Booker. They play on the same team. They run behind the same offensive line. I've watched every single Giant game this year. Don't sit there and tell me that Saquon Barkley's been the more explosive running back. It's not true. It's not accurate. Booker has more pep in his step. He's been more effective. I know Barkley made that incredible you know, catch, the tip back, whatever. He also had a key fumble in this game. And where are the difference-making plays? I can't think of any from Saquon throughout the course of this year. I know he's coming back off these injuries, but this is the time where a running back in his rookie deal is maximizing his potential. What are you telling me? That Saquon Barkley now is going to be a star for the next five years when he's 30, 31, 32? Please. There's not going to be that pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. And I'm on record of saying it. I would trade Saquon Barkley in the offseason. I would. I would move on from Saquon Barkley. I would try to maximize what I can, save face any which way I can as a part of this fresh start. But the Giants are going to be in cap hell. The Giants have way too much uncertainty at quarterback. You don't love a head coach who wants to preach that he is this guy demanding results and, you know, he's off the Belichick tree, except the Giants, unlike last year, are not finishing the season strong. They haven't won back-to-back games all year. It's one of the most hopeless situations in the NFL. That's just real tough. It's going to be a tough pill to swallow for a whole lot of Giant fans out there. But when you record double-digit losses now in five consecutive seasons, 
This is not news. I'm not breaking ground. But it really does in many ways put into perspective where you're at as a franchise. It's ugly. Now, from a Jets side of things, it's a little bit different. Now, Benigo will come on and tell you he's sick of the fact that he hasn't been in the playoffs in over a decade. He's sick over the fact that his team has just been basically awful from 2012 on. This game against the Miami Dolphins, though, was basically a byproduct of not having enough horses. What do I mean by that? The Miami Dolphins don't run the football against anybody. They ran for over 180 yards against the New York Jets. Jets got off to a great start. The Jets put together a couple of creative, innovative touchdown drives, some trickery with their play calls, using Braxton Berrios. I mean, the play today was that third and long conversion where I think Jamison Crowder caught it, threw it back to Braxton Berrios on like a third and 15. I don't think I've ever seen that before. Like, this sort of hook and ladder lateral that's not an end of the half play, that's not the end of the game type play. It was some really cool stuff to watch. But this game, in many ways, followed the exact same script that you saw against the Eagles. The Jet offense got off to a good start. Wilson, we've been roasting him for not making the safe throw, for not executing a sense of accuracy. He did that today. Second half, though, the Jet offense went completely in the pack. Because Brian Flores and the Miami Dolphin coaching staff, they took away Michael Carter with no Elijah Moore, with no Corey Davis. They basically said, we're going to play one-on-one, and we're going to send a house basically every single play. And the Jets couldn't counter that. Zach Wilson got stripped with the football. The Jet rushing attack disappeared. And the Miami Dolphins defense dominated. Basically, the only points the Jets got in the second half was the hideous Tua interception. And listen, you know I'm Tua through and through, to and on, whatever the hell they're calling it these days. He's my dude. He stunk today. This was hands down his worst game of the season. He threw two interceptions. He was off his mark. He missed a deep touchdown, which should have been a touchdown. Albert Wilson played a crappy game. But the Jets get the interception to tie it. And this is where I got to give two and the Dolphins credit. Miami goes right down the field, marches it right down the field. And Tua knows he's got a veteran receiver in Parker, hits him on a 10-yard slant. Third nine difference in the game, and Miami ends up winning. The Jets are in the middle of another long, rotten season. But I'm going to be harping on this. Over the final three games, into the draft process, into the summer, into next year. The Jets cannot have another one of these seasons where they're basically dead and buried in the middle of October. I know it's going to take a decent leap for the Jets to go from being a three or a four-win team to like a 10-win playoff team. But you look around the AFC and the NFC playoff picture, and every year is different. But with the seventh team, I think we're going to see this more and more and more. This in the hunt, everybody is basically in the hunt if you can hover around the 500 mark. The Jets have got to be on that graphic at some point next year. Maybe not for the entirety of December and January, but they got to at least give you some sort of glimmer. And that, to me, is the sort of step forward that I desperately need to see. It's not sexy. I know for a fan base that hasn't made the playoffs in over a decade, you'd say, well, take that and shove it, JJ. But that's the sort of step forward I got to see.
because you figure, all right, ton of money to spend, couple of first round picks, improvement from the quarterback. Can you get to being a seven or an eight win team next season? Will be tough. It's a very, very competitive, very, very good AFC East, but that's how you're going to judge and that's how you're going to gauge progress. Can't be another one of these three and 15, four and 14 years. I'm sorry, because Jeff Fan is sick and tired of it. You knew that was going to be the case this year. It can't be the case next year. So listen to this nugget of futility for the two New York football teams. Great stat. I saw this earlier today. I wanted to make sure I referenced it on the pod. Since 2017, we are closing in on the end of the 2021 season. The two New York football teams are a combined, wait for it, 43 and 113. I'll say that for you one more time. The two New York football teams since the 17th season, they have 43 wins and 113 losses. Woof. In the spirit of home alone. Buzz, your girlfriend, Wolf. New York football. Double wolf. Need something to feel good about? Hey, Mets fans, at least you got Buck Walter. At least you got somebody who's going to take your team and give you instant credibility and be a winner right out of the gate. See, I'm giving you at least a positive thought to ride the high. Buck is coming to town. Buck is now your manager. If you're a Mets fan, you root for one of these two New York football teams, you kind of need that. All right, we got a loaded show. My buddy, my pal, Dan Grasso, who does the Jet pre and post. I work with him over at SNY. I love Dan. Great Met guy. Great Jet guy. Might even mix in a little Beatle talk with him because we're both Beatle aficionados. He's going to join us next. We got tons of voicemails to get to. We'll run around the league as the playoff picture starting to crystallize a little bit more. And John Harbaugh, once again, rolling the dice, but not hitting the 11. Came up snake eyes at the end of the game. So we'll run around the league. A lot more to do. New York, New York. Sunday edition. We only got two this week, so we got to maximize. Got to maximize profits, you know? That's what we do around here. All right. Thank you, Ross. I'm next. This episode is brought to you by Thomas's. Thomas's presents Technique with Tom. Slicing an English muffin with a butter blade? Boulder Dash. Just pull apart with your hands and marvel in the nooks and crannies splendor. For each one is unique like a snowflake. Thomas's. Huzzah. A toast to breakfast. I figured it would be perfect timing to have on a buddy of mine who is well-versed in the New York Jets. He is well-versed in the New York Mets. He may be well-versed in a little get back, which was a ton of fun over the last couple of weeks. Uh, a man of many talents. SNY, Jets, Prem, Post. Um, the, the list goes on and on. MLB Network Radio. It's impossible, Dan Grosser, to keep up with the amount of gigs you have. Just throwing that out there. I missed you first and foremost. First I did too. All, we used to you? do a television show, by the way, yep. for anybody wondering. Dan Gross and I spent way too much time together for like a year and a half doing the way thread too on much time. Way too much way time. Way too much time. Absolutely. But it was it was routine, right? I mean, it's like we were seeing each other every day like we were family for crying out loud. And, you know, because of everything that's happened in the last year and a half or a couple of years, we don't get a chance to see each other that much. So the fact that we could do this. This makes my heart warm in this holiday season. It's great to catch up with you finally, even though you're wearing the stupid Dolphins thing, unfortunately, right now. Well, I'm fired up about that, by the way. Uh, the fact that the Dolphins will be playing a game next week after Christmas, after 1-7, that has meaning Amazing. and significance, is beyond outrageous. But your team, listen, it's been a rotten, vile season. There have been a lot of lulls. 
do you take any positive today from what you saw with the Jets in their first couple of offensive series? I'll tell you what I saw today that I would like then. The offensive coordinator looks like he has a clue. The quarterback, at least in the first half, was making the safe throw and was showing the sort of accuracy that, quite frankly, we haven't seen for a good majority of this year. And I know I'm grasping, but when you have three wins and you're a rotten franchise like the Jets are, and you don't have a lot of talent on the team, I'm trying to find any glimmers of positives that I can, dude. I think you're hitting it, right? Because, I mean, look, what are we, 15 weeks into the season, 14 games? This was a team that coming into the season, you know that the depth chart was not exactly stacked with all pros. I mean, it's still very much in a rebuilding process. But as we've gotten to this point in the season, you know, injuries have taken their toll, just like every team in the National Football League. But when you don't have a super stacked roster going into the year anyway, the injuries hit home a little more. Like, you look at what they were running out there today at wide receiver, just like last week. You know, you're missing your top two wideouts with Corey Davis and Elijah Moore. Not in there. So, okay, you were moving the ball a little bit in the first half, but then when half number two arrives, when Brian Flores and the Dolphins coaching staff makes all their adjustments to neutralize this offense, then you got to ask your guys to win one-on-one battles. And unfortunately, you know, the Jamison Crowders of the world, the Keelan Coles, Braxton Berrioses, Denzel Mims, they're backups for a reason. And they're not winning the one-on-one battles, especially against your two corners, who are two of the best in the National Football League. And it was kind of a repeat of that Philadelphia game from a couple of weeks ago, where the offense looked really good in the first half, then in half number two, they couldn't put the ball in the end zone. I mean, in this day and age in the NFL, you got to keep scoring points. So unless you've got the 85 bear defense, you can't score 17 points in the first half and then shut it down the rest of the way. You're not going to win too many ball games, and that's what happened this afternoon. And from a talent standpoint, look, you know this. The Jet defense is just not where it needs to be. Robert Sala could talk all he'd like about, you know, certain schemes and the certain principles that he wants to put into play. Grasso, the Dolphins don't run it on anybody. And you see the Dolphins running it today with Duke Johnston and Miles Gaskin. They're gashing. They're gashing the Jets. That's all you need to know. You got two first-round picks. They need an overhaul, dude, on that side of the ball. Overhaul. Well, absolutely. They're missing a lot of guys on defense, you know, due to injuries and whatnot. I mean, just in the front seven alone, I mean, Fadukasi, Foley Fadukasi, he went in COVID protocol yesterday. He's one of their best front stuffers. Quinnen playing with one arm, and then he left this game in the third quarter. But it's still no excuse. Like you said, I mean, your running attack was non-existent all season long. And today, to ring up 184 yards, Duke Johnson, who's barely touched the ball all season long, they couldn't stop him. You know, Miles Gaskin, who's been in COVID protocol for two weeks, and he's right on the field and slicing and dicing them all afternoon. If you would have asked me, I was talking about this somebody after we got off the air today for our post game. If you would have told me back at the beginning of the season that by this point in the year, the defense would be as underperforming as it has been, that would have been the bigger surprise to me, believe it or not, than the lack of everything else that has gone on. Because I thought the defense would be ahead of the offense this year. Solid, the defensive background. They got some dudes in the front seven. But the fact that they're just getting mauled by some of these teams, it, it, it's, it's been really hard to watch. And I'm sure those guys will tell you the same thing. All right. So we're closing in on the end of this first year. Right. The record is miserable. Right. Who do you feel better about at this stage? The coach or the quarterback? Um, I think they're both the same, to be honest with you. Right. I, I mean, first of all, the quarterback, here's the thing about the quarterback. And, you know, he got asked some tough questions today in the post game. And I guess that they're already kind of poking holes in some of his answers that they didn't like the answer he gave. And what they were alluding to was, and it's a valid question. And I think it's a valid point. You think about the last four games he's played since he's come back from the knee injury. The offense has averaged 
257 yards a game in those four games. They've, they've topped out, I think, at like 280. Remember before he came back, though, when it was Flacco, when it was Mike White, hell, when it was even Josh Johnson who went in there in the Indianapolis game, they're putting up over 300 yards, over 400 yards of offense against some of these teams. So now where they're not hitting those heights since he's been back, when he's had the opportunity to watch from the sideline, I think that's a little disappointing. So he still has a lot to show you over the last three games, and you hope that there is that room for growth. Like the first half today looked great, but then he wasn't able to build off of that in the second half, he and the rest of the offense. You want to see more from him. As far as the head coach is concerned, you know what? There's going to be a lot of guys on this team right now that aren't going to be part of this team next year. You know, you can't get an entire roster to fall in line with the scheme that you want to run, with the vision that you have in one offseason. You know, it's impossible. So I would wait to see what they do this upcoming offseason where they've got two first-round picks, two second-round picks, huge amounts of money in cap space. Let me see this coach with a little bit better personnel before I make a final judgment on him. Because I will say one thing. There's no controversy. Nobody said anything divisive. Nobody's abandoned ship. And you could say, well, that's easy to say because you're professionals and whatnot. But for as bad as this season's been at 3-11, and 11, he has kept that ship together. So I give him credit for that. So the Jets are in a position where mm-hmm. they're set up nicely, all things considered. ton of cap space, two top 10 draft picks. The best thing they have going for them is you watch basically every single week and the draft board is like shaking out their way. Wonderful. Right. But sooner or later, though, Grasso, you have to get to a point where you're winning. You know what I mean? Gotta win. You Go have ahead. to get to a point where you actually see progress next year. I'm not going to put a playoff mandate on it next year. I don't think that's fair. I don't think that's right. Can the Jets get to a point next year, though, where they are in that in-the-hunt category? Like, we're sitting here week 14 or week 15. This can't be next year another one of these years where the Jets are, like, 3-11 and 11 and are dead. Like, to me, if we're thinking about next year and how we're going to gauge progress, you have to give your fans at least two-thirds of a year where you're playing some meaningful football. Preaching to the choir. You're, you're, you're absolutely preaching to the choir. Like, you know, I was just watching the end of the, the Denver-Cincinnati game before we started recording here. And, you know, the game ends and they show the AFC standings. And there's like a million teams who still have a pulse with three weeks left in the season. You know, like you said, the in the hunt category. I mean, look, in the AFC, if your name, unless your name is the Jets, the Jaguars, and the Texans, you still have a pulse with three games left. So absolutely, with everything that we just talked about, you expect this team to be playing meaningful games, whatever you want to qualify that as, in the month of December here. And I'll tell you something else, too, which dawned on me as I was driving home tonight. There's a good probability here because Buffalo looks like they're going to need that game in week 18 this year. Jets are going to go winless in the AFC East for the second straight season. Since I've been doing this job with the Jets, and that goes back to Darnold's first year of 2018, if my memory serves, they've won three games in the division. That's embarrassing. And Three one of those games. games, if you remember, against Miami and Flores' first game. Very year, they controversial. Got they got a yep. gift at the end of the game. Total gift. Controversial. Absolutely. So there was a Buffalo game in uh, that year. In the last week of the season, Buffalo didn't need the game, so they played nobody. They won that game. They won a game up in Buffalo, Darnold's rookie year, where he played really well. He come from behind victory in the fourth quarter. So that's two. The game against your team, like you said, in, in uh, 19 uh, with that kind of very questionable pass interference call there on the final drive. Those are the only three division wins since 2018, which is, look, if you want to make your climb up the standings, you got to take care of business in your own house because look at the AFCs. Your team is on the way up. Buffalo's up. New England's up. 
the Jets. So if you want to start chipping away, chipping away, you got to beat these teams that you see twice a year. I want to put you in a good mood. I don't want to be all doom and gloom with you. Oh, I'm in a good mood. No, 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 no. But I Holiday really want to, I want to bring out the best in Dan Grassa. And I have mm-hmm. a feeling the Bucks show off their hiring. And the fact that you're, did you ever think, Grassa, you'd be living in a world where your team acted like the Yankees and the Yankees are basically acting like the Mets? It's crazy to think about the, the, the switch in these two franchises. I am jealous, envious, and like, in envy, basically, of watching what your team has done so far this offseason. And, and you know what's amazing? There's reports out there that once this whole thing gets settled, which is another story for another day, that they are in on Chris Bryant, believe it or not. I love it. No, why not? The, the I mean, got why more not? Money God, why not? Absolutely. So, yeah, I mean, look, and I think they hit this one out of the park with Buck Walter. He brings instant credibility. This is a team that's built to win now. You don't sign a 38-year-old pitcher, whatever Max Scherzer is, and some of these other guys who are on the north side of 30, veterans, you know, the Escobars and the Canas and, you know, uh, Starling Martes, to go with the team that you have if you don't want to win right now. So Buck is the perfect candidate. The guy knows baseball inside and out. He knows how to work a bullpen, except in that wild card game, of course, a couple of years ago. But other than that, I mean, what more could you ask for? And I don't want to hear about the fact that he's 65 years of age. I mean, look, look at the two managers that were in the World Series this year. Both of those guys were north of 60. You know, like I said, it's a home run hire. they got to go out there and play baseball. But if you're a Mets fan, I can't remember the last time you went into a season this excited. I, I, I really can't. I would guess 2007 or either 2016, right? You think about it. After a World Series and then right. after Game 7 of the NLCS with that whole Delgado, Beltran, right, Reyes core. And let's be honest. This is the best manager the Mets have had since Bobby Valentine. I mean, the last two. And listen, Terry did a fine job. I had no issues with Terry Collins running the Mets. The last two managers they had were totally clueless, totally in over their head. Grosso, they couldn't hire another manager who needed on-the-job training. Come on now. Well, not only that, part of the experience is he's got New York experience. He did this here. You know what I mean? you got to deal with the media. Things are going to come up. You know, they're going to try to bait you. You know, you're going to have adversity. You're going to have controversy. He knows how to play that game. He spent how many years in the media over at MLB Network? Yes, Network, whatever it was. He knows how to play this game. Like, it is, it checks every single box that you could possibly check here. And like you said, we're not used to living in a world, I mean, not since the 80s, for crying out loud, where the Mets did everything right. And now it seems like they're doing everything right. Let's just hope, you know, fingers crossed that they're not besieged with injuries or anything like that. Or watch them watch them cancel the season. There's not even going to be baseball this year or something. Once everything lines up the way you want it to for the Mets. Well, you know this. It bothers the Yankee fan that they hired Buck. They could say whatever. Any Yankee fan could say whatever the hell they want. Buck was the guy who was the disciple, the protege of Billy Martin. He managed Don Mattingly. Hey, Gross, I was saying during the summer, I'd bring him back to manage the Yankees when they were playing lousy baseball. I wanted him managing the Yankees after they lost this wildcard game. Now he's in Flushing. Like, there are a few difference-making managers in baseball, especially now. The Mets have one of those guys. No doubt about it. Now, I don't know. Look, I wasn't around, of course, you know, before you and I were both born. But was this, bother, you know, does this bother the Yankee fan as much as it did back in the day when Yogi? you know, went over to be part of the Met coaching staff and then ultimately became the manager of the Mets. You know, did that bother the Yankee fan, you know, how many years ago are we talking? 45 years ago or, you know, 50 years ago? Maybe. I couldn't tell you, but at least modern day, this because usually it's the other way around. You know what I mean? Joe Torre, former Met, goes to the Yankees, leads them through a dynasty. Doc, Darrell, all these guys that experienced success. David Cohn. David Cohn. 
You know what I mean? I mean, geez, even Tom Seaver was a freaking Yankee announcer for crying out loud, which just seemed a little odd. But yeah, I, I mean, for once, for once, everything looks promising here for the Mets, but we'll see. All right. I can't let you say goodbye without getting your thoughts on the baller documentary that was Get Back. And oh. I said this the other day on the air, Gross. We, we, need, we need an hour just on that alone. I know. Forget the Mets. Forget the Jets. I mean, Forget I about that. Well, I explained it, and I'm sure you probably feel the same way. It was not your typical music documentary in the sense that, like, you didn't have a ton of interviews. There wasn't a ton of commentary. But what it basically was was like this end history note of what the final year of the Beatles was. And listen, if you're like a casual Beatles fan, maybe you're not going to appreciate it as much. If you have a liking and you are a fan or you consider yourself a diehard, Grasa, that six hours doesn't get any better. I, you know what it is? It's you were a fly on the wall. That's the best way to describe it, right? You were a fly on the wall. And I said to, I, you know, I watch it with my wife and I'm a fanatic. You know that I, I consider myself a historian. I know all the ins and outs. I know. I mean, I, I'm like a scholar almost on, on their history. Watching that, I just kept saying out loud, I can't believe I'm watching this. I can't believe I have access to this. I can't believe that this has been locked in a Well, that's what I was going to say. The fact that it's been locked up basically for 50 plus years and nobody had any, I mean, we had an inkling about it, but it right. never got out there is pretty crazy. It's amazing. It feels like, you know what it felt like, dude? It felt like I was watching something illegal. Like, seriously, it's like I was watching some stolen pirated video that I should not have access to. Like, I was waiting for the feds to burst into my room and say, what are you doing with this? It was that good. It was that exclusive. I, I just couldn't believe this. It's like you're sitting in the room with them. And I don't know if you ever, did you ever see the original Let It Be movie? You know, I did not. I saw all okay. the other Beatles movies. I saw Magical Mystery, Yell Sub, Hard Day's Night Help. I never saw the Let It Be movie. I well, heard because not great. It's at, well, no, it's, it, you'll, if you're a diehard, it's fantastic. Oh, so I like it. Okay. The tenor is very dark and it's been out of circulation for decades. Like it, it's never had a proper uh, DVD release. It had like a very early VHS release, but then it disappeared. And the reason it disappeared was, like I said, and the stories that have kind of evolved over the decades, it does present a dark, somber, depressing tone. So, you know, there's been rumors that Paul obviously doesn't like the way that it presents the band and the other members, you know, didn't want anything to do it because it just, you know, wreaked negativity. And it showed you a band that was breaking up and kind of getting towards the end. But that was only like an 80, 85 minute kind of behind the scenes thing. A little bit more with the musical productions, the finished products and stuff. Then you're getting these conversations. This presented, yeah, there was some of that negativity there. And you saw when George walked out out of the end of episode one. But there was a lot of happy moments in this. I mean, I guess when you're shooting 50 hours, it's not all going to be gloom and doom. But to me, this was a lot more sunnier than I ever thought it would be in my wildest dreams. So the fact that we have this, and I think they are going to go back and release the proper Let It Be film. Like, I, I saw it. I bought, like, a VHS. This was back when I was in college. Like, a VHS bootleg copy. Nice. Which the quality wasn't that great, but you still got the effect of it. And I thought it was kind of like the holy grail at that point because we had never seen it. But I think there's been rumors that they're going to go back and release that one as well, in addition to now you see this different presentation. But it shows you that now it makes a little bit more sense because, remember, people think that that was the end, the end, the roof concert, goodbye. No, they were still on good terms. And if you remember, then they went back to the studio later in 1969. And did Abbey Road. 
and did Abbey Road, which was a very uplifting and an all-time classic album. So they still were on good enough terms to make that record. And then once 69 turned into 70, then they kind of started to go their separate ways to where nobody was really doing anything musically with the band. And then they were like, oh, yeah, by the way, we got all these tracks that you recorded in January of 69. Let's put it out as a Let It Be album. That's when Phil Spector got involved and put all the strings on the long and winding road, which McCartney hated to the point where he doesn't even want to acknowledge that anymore. And when they put out the Let It Be Naked album, the version that's on there of Long and Winding Road has no strings at all. It's the way that McCartney kind of wanted it to be, kind of just the stripped down, kind of basic, you know, great song and whatnot. But it, if you're a Beatles fan, that was as great an early Christmas gift, I think, that you could possibly ever want. Amen to that. Did you have a favorite part? For me, the idea of watching Lennon and McCartney go through Don't Let Me Down and then go through get back and like they start talking it out. They're talking out like Tucson, Arizona. They're talking like that to me. I I got so damn geeked out when they were doing that shit, dude. And I, and, and I get like the exclusivity stuff. Like I thought that part was in, in part two where they told you they had like a hidden microphone in the salt and pepper shakers or something to where John and Paul went off to the cafeteria and having a conversation. And my mind is blown. Even though we didn't see it, we heard it. I'm like, how the hell do we have access to this? And 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 nobody has seen this for 50 years. 50 years. If there was one little, if I could, like one little knock and thing that disappointed me about it, you have eight plus hours of, of footage that Peter Jackson put together for this thing that he, that he cut it down to. So we got about like eight hours or close to it with everything. I didn't like the fact that on January the 31st, which was the last day, the day after the roof concert, they went in the studio and recorded almost like what came to be like proper music videos. Let it be long and winding road. Two of us, like we've seen those there's finished products. They've been released. I thought we would at least see those. And instead he did like a, a mishmash of them rolling on the credits. Like while the credits were rolling for that part three, you only saw like little like outtakes of them instead of like the finished products. I'm like, Dude, if you're giving me eight hours, you mean to tell me Make you couldn't hour. that? Screw give it. Me, I mean, it wouldn't even take another hour, another half hour. But give me that at least because those are like, you know, legendary performances and stuff. But but overall, I mean, that's something you have to go back to and watch again, 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 and again because there's so much in there. You miss different things. Dan Grasso, don't be a stranger, buddy. It's great seeing oh. your face. Um, next podcast we do, I think we'll do like an hour and a half on the Beatles. How's that Dude. sound? Anytime. And like I said, we'll do I'm that in sorry. the middle of February, by the way. You know, when baseball's Any- locked out, the Knicks think that uh that sounds like a plan. By the way, and and no inside knowledge or anything. This is just my own personal belief. Middle it's probably gonna be about February when we're gonna start to get some serious talks with the baseball. As soon as the threat is looming about games being canceled and even spring training games, I'm talking, they make money off those. That's when we're gonna see substantial, meaningful conversations. Unfortunately, I think there's going to be a lot of negativity through January, too, with some of these talks. But uh, love you, buddy. You know that. And uh, let's do it again soon. The great Dan Grasso. Voice fails a lot more to do. We're coming right back. This episode is brought to you by 7-Eleven. Cold, slurpy drinks and a hot summer day are a match made in heaven. And your favorite refreshment just got even better. Let's talk about 7-Eleven's $1 small slurpy drink with seven rewards. It's the classic frozen fizzy treat. You can't get anywhere else. I'm a blue raspberry guy. Just know that about me. Know that I'm going to be going forward. Anytime there's a drink like this, I'm in on the blue raspberry. 
If you're feeling thirsty, feeling thirsty right now, how about going to visit a 7-Eleven valid through 1725? 7-Eleven has the right to end this promotion early, plus tax, participating U.S. stores. See app for full terms. All rights reserved. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. That was a ton of fun. And listen, Grasa is a Beatles aficionado. I mean, my goodness. I, he's even seen like these bootleg versions of Let It Be that I never even got an opportunity to see. So I guess he was a little more proactive than his youth. Give credit where credit is due. All right. The rest of the league, kind of a blase weird Sunday. The highlight of the one o'clock window. What world happened to the Arizona Cardinals today? They get torched by Jared Goff. They allowed Detroit to put up 30 points. And Arizona, who maybe two weeks ago was thinking about a number one seed and having home field throughout, Arizona's going to have their hands full with the schedule they have in even winning their division. So the NFC West, which appeared to be, you know, over and done with and clear cut for the Arizona Cardinals, when you got a loss to the Detroit Lions on your ledger, that goes completely out the window. How about the Buffalo-Carolina game? How about Carolina not having their kicker, losing their kicker in warmups? I mean, the minute you see that, you're like, oh, geez, they're, they're going to be in a world of trouble. They fought in that game. Too much Josh Allen. And give Kim Jones credit. She mentioned Gabriel Davis and the impact he has on the Buffalo Bills when he is out there. He made a couple of gigantic plays in this game. So, Kim, if you're listening, job well done. You mentioned that with Buffalo. He had a big impact on the last two weeks. And Buffalo's offense getting back in rhythm. Um, the big winner of the 1 o'clock slate, because, listen, the... Detroit Lions don't count. The Pittsburgh Steelers saved their season. They were down two scores. They're forcing turnover after turnover. They were beyond inept on offense. Ben threw for 148 yards. They only ran for 35 yards. But they found a way to win because they forced Tannehill turnover after turnover after turnover. They got the big stop at the end of the game. I am screaming at the end of the game thinking that they were going to give him a first down. I'm like, on what planet is that a first down? I mean, the spot was nowhere close. Thankfully, they take a look at it. They end up getting it done. Big win from the Steelers. And I couldn't have been more wrong on Texans-Jaguars. Uh, and, and you know what? It's a lesson. Don't, don't ever bet on the Jags. Friends don't let friends bet on Jacksonville. And that's something I've preached all year. And yet, for some reason, without Urban Meyer being there, I tried to get cute. I get what I deserve. Four o'clock window. Good slate of games. Packers and Ravens was nutty. Hunley played well for the Ravens. They missed the fourth down opportunity early. They fall behind by 14 after getting stuffed on a fourth down situation. And then they got hot. They hook up with Andrews. They score a touchdown to cut it to seven. They score another rushing touchdown. And you're saying, is John Harbaugh going to do the exact same thing he did a few weeks ago when he was taking on the Pittsburgh Steelers? I was all in on the idea of going for two in that game. All in. Because it's the end of the game. You didn't have corners. Lamar is hot. He's your MVP. You trust him. You go for two. In this situation, I felt a little differently. 
And the main reason I felt differently is because the amount of time that was left. It was like 45 or 46 seconds left. You're playing with a backup quarterback. You're not going to have the same level of confidence. I thought it was far more of a dicier proposition to go for two. But now for the second time in three weeks, Harbaugh basically puts his nuts on the table, goes for two inside a minute, and is 0 for two. And both times his team ends up losing the game. You can't accuse John Harbaugh of being conservative. Even with a backup quarterback, he said, nah, I'm not about that action. I'm going for the win right here, right now. The problem is, with the Ravens losing, and with the Cincinnati Bengals winning an ugly 15-10 game in Denver, and thoughts and prayers with Teddy Bridgewater, that looked like a gruesome, gruesome injury. We hope everything is okay there. The Bengals held up. Drew Locke continues to be the gift that keeps on giving. If I had known that Drew Locke was going to play a second of that game, there is no way in the world I would have put my hard-earned money on the Denver Broncos. But, hey, them the breaks. Sometimes you win, sometimes you lose. But now that game next week between Cincinnati and Baltimore, that is a monster, monster game for the division. Because you got both teams at 8-6. Winner of that game, sole possession, I think, of first place. Unless Cleveland ends up winning two in a row. But you can't see Cleveland winning at Green Bay next week. And I'd be remiss if I don't give the 49ers credit. The 49ers are rolling right now. That was a weird game. Atlanta moved the ball well. They just couldn't execute inside the red zone. But the Niners got it going. They run the football effectively. Garoppolo's playing clean. And they've turned their season around. They were 3-5 and five at one point. Now they're 8-6. and six. They're in the driver's seat to be that second playoff team. The way the NFC is shaking out, if you look at the standings, Green Bay, and we're waiting on the result of Tampa and New Orleans. We're taping this around 8 o'clock. Assuming Tampa beats New Orleans, you got 11 and 3 Green Bay, you got 11 and 3 Tampa. Okay, there's that. Then you got Dallas at 10 and 4. You got Arizona at 10 and 4. Green Bay or Tampa is probably going to end up as that number one seed. I would guess Dallas, with their schedule they have coming up, will end up because they got some cupcakes on the schedule with the football team. And eh, the Eagles might have something to play for. I should, I, I, I remiss. I, I'm going to rephrase that. They don't have cupcakes coming up, but they don't have murderers row coming up. I'm going to say Dallas ends up with the four. And then the wild cards, the way it's going to shake out, Rams are getting in, Niners are getting in, and then you got all sorts of craziness with Washington, Minnesota, Philly, New Orleans, and could even a team like Atlanta or Seattle sneak in? Depending on what you see over the next two weeks, it's, it's not out of the question. In the AFC, Kansas City now controls their fate for that one seed. New England, and we were all over Indianapolis yesterday. We're sitting pretty up for his scores. That game got way too close for comfort. They're at 9-5. Tennessee's at 9-5. Indy, even though they're at 8-6, they're two games behind Tennessee. Because remember, Tennessee beat Indy twice. So it's going to be asking a lot for the Colts to pass the Titans. Cincinnati's at 8-6. Chargers are 8-6. Buffalo's at 8-6. Baltimore's at eight and six. Cleveland's at seven and six. Pitt's seven and six and one. Miami seven and seven. Denver seven and seven. Raiders six and seven. Long story short, the AFC playoff picture is still a hot mess with three weeks to go. Kansas City, New England, and Tennessee appear to be locks. After that, I think there's about everything. Everything is totally up for grabs. All right, voicemail time as we tried to make some sense of the playoff picture. I know. Mentioned. Tried. 
Easier said than done. 917-382-1151. That's where we make magic. All right, let's hear it. JJ, what's going on? Chris from Springfield, Mass. Different week, same result. It's this Giants team. It's I'm actually, I'm happy there was a large contingent of Cowboy fans that overtook that stadium today. If that's what it took for John Mayer to finally see the light and to clean house, I hope that was. I hope today was it. I hope today was the, the boiling point for him to say, "All right, you got to make wholesale changes." Um, it's just an embarrassment what we've become. It's it's it's. The defense played hard, and honestly, JJ, the defense has held their own all season without a consistent pass rush. So one thing I will say, Pat Graham should be back next season. I will say that. Um, we'll see. But uh, overall, Joe Judge, I'm not mad at him for being aggressive. Like, you can't you can't have it both ways. You can, everyone's going to call him Mr. Conservative, and then he's being aggressive today. You're going to blast him? No. He's, he's being aggressive. I like it. Um, and lastly, just I don't even know what to say. This team is in desperate need of, of of an overhaul, something. Like I'm looking at Daniel Jones on the sideline, and I'm like, yeah, you're 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 just as lost as everyone else. He's got to go. This just got to be a whole organizational overhaul. Everybody's got to go. The running back, this new GM. Hey. You want if you want to get rid of them, get rid of them. But there's a whole lot of shit to fix, JJ. I'm out. Well, I think you hit on the most important element regarding the New York Giants. There's a whole lot that needs to be done. You're in a bad cap situation. You don't have a credible, top-notch answer quarterback. There's serious questions about the head coach, and there's serious questions about the direction of the franchise. The NFL things can change. We all understand that. But if you're going to go and look at situations around the NFL, Giants are hands down the bottom five. The Texans may have a worse situation because you got to assume Deshaun Watson is not going to be back. Who the hell knows what his deal is? You'd probably rather be Jacksonville than the Giants, right? They got Trevor Lawrence, at quarterback. Assuming you get the right coaching staff, you hit on draft picks, you got somebody you think can be a big star in this league. You want to tell me Detroit's in worse shape? Sure. After that, good luck. You're basically grasping at straws. And at least the Jets are in the first year of a coach and a quarterback, even though they've been awful for a decade. The Giants right now are in a rotten, vile place. That's why I am so fascinated to see how ownership is going to view this season and what the end result of the offseason is going to be. We know there's going to be a new general manager in here. Is this head coach going to be able to survive basically losing out the remainder of the year? Because with their quarterback situation, will the Giants get another win? And in many ways, that's probably the best thing for you. Get another top flight, top-notch draft pick, and you're going to have two win in the top 10. Hey, it's been a whole lot of lowlights for New York football. At least you'll have the highlights of knowing you got a lot of action come draft time. Uh, and we may have to find a way to the NFL draft this year. Too much at stake, it feels like, for the Jets and the Giants. All right, who's next? Hey, JJ, Charles from Queens here. Just another... Brutal loss by the New York Jets. I mean, it's just a never end. I just want to see some, some wins for once, but I do think there were some positives. The offense played really well in the first half. It's just the team hasn't been able to string together two, you know, good halves of offensive football or defensive football for that matter, you know, back to back. Defense can't stop the run at all. 
Um, it's just just a very frustrating end to that game. And, and it just shows, you know, the Jets still have a lot of work to do. You know, it, I definitely in a game like this, they missed Elijah Moore. For, and we just need to get better at the tight end position. I think that's something that Joe Douglas needs to address. Because we have nobody that, you know, in a big third down can get open. And we helped Zach Wilson out. Um, and he was just under pressure the entire second half. Couldn't block anybody. I mean, he didn't play great either. Just uh, a frustrating loss. You know, congrats to your Dolphins. Happy for them. And, uh, you know, maybe you'll be in the playoffs this year. Anyway, thanks for uh, taking the call. And uh, love the show. Thanks. Bye. Appreciate the congratulations. But, look, the Miami Dolphins still got a ton of work to do if they're going to be a playoff team. And Tua cannot give you another game like this. If he's going to play like this against the New Orleans Saints and the Tennessee Titans, the Miami Dolphins are cooked over the next two games. He's got to be a lot better. Hopefully they'll get Jalen Waddle and Javon Holland back, and they look like a much different team. The Jets fought in this game. They executed a heck of a lot better in the first half offensively. Miami took away their running game. And you nailed it. Without Elijah Moore, they couldn't have any success on first down. And when they were dropping back second along, third and long, with the Dolphins basically sending everybody, Zach Wilson didn't have a chance. I will preach the positive for Zach from this standpoint. Those intermediate safe throws that we've been screaming about with him. When is he going to hit these safe routes? When is he going to execute as far as that goes? He finally started to do that to a decent success rate throughout the course of this game. Jet defense has nothing to feel good about. They got a couple of interceptions. Great. Their run defense, as abominable as it gets, torched. Absolutely positively torched. You would have thought it was Ronnie Brown and Ricky Williams running a wildcat, not Duke Johnston and Miles Gaskin, for goodness sakes. Jets need dudes on defense. They need a ton of dudes. Good news, they got a couple of draft picks to maybe make that happen. All right, who's next? JJ Justin in Miami. Show Walter to the match. Uh, and it pretty nice, much makes clear to me who's calling the shots in, in Washington, and that's the owner. And this owner is going to do things that is going to maximize headlines and really stick it to the Yankees. And so with that in mind, if you're the Yankees, you better fully understand that if you don't sign up and lock up Aaron Judge before this year, that Steve Cohen is going to bid and probably outbid you next year for Aaron Judge. Because it's very clear that he doesn't just want to have a competitive team, but he wants to have a team that dominates the back pages and takes over New York. And based on the way Hal Steinbrenner and Brian Cashman spend money, are you really confident that if they get in a bidding war, that Steve Cohen won't offer $50 million more? I'm not. All right. Like to get your thoughts, man. Bye. Do I believe that Met ownership would try to potentially troll the Yankees in making a play for Aaron Judge? Yes. Do I think the Yankees would let Aaron Judge get away? No way. It's too valuable there, bottom line. The Judge's chambers, the way they market him, he's the face of the franchise. There are certain guys the Yankees just don't lose. And ask yourself this question. Despite Cohen having all of this money and all these resources, When have the Yankees lost out on one of their own free agents when they've really wanted him back? Don't tell me Robbie Cano. They really didn't want Robbie Cano back. Andy Penn, 2003, it was a monumental mistake, but the Yankees were more interested in signing Gary Sheffield at that time than bringing back Andy Pettit. When the Yankees want their guy, they get their guy. Which scare me a little bit. The bigger issue is the idea of the Mets acting like this big-ticket item, which is awesome to see if you're a Met fan. Scherzer, 
ready-made manager in Showalter, acting like a contending win-now big market team. And the idea that you haven't seen that from the Yankees in going the extra mile. And you're going to have to wait if the Yankees are going to act in a certain way because, well, we're in the middle of a lockout. So as right now, nobody knows what the entire complexion of the 22 team is going to look like. Okay, next. JJ, Victor in Staten Island. Been listening to you for many years. Going back to your fan days, but the first time I've ever called. A uh, huge Mets fan. The news of Cheryl Walter has me really excited. But still worried about the Grom. I mean, I haven't heard much about it. I mean, he was hurt in the second half of the year. I mean, if he's not healthy, signing a Scherzer is great and all, but we need a healthy DeGrom. And just finished watching the Dolphin-Jet game. Maybe your Dolphins have a shot at the division. I mean, who knows? The way they're playing, you never know. All right, man. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Victor, that's very nice of you to say. There's not a chance in hell the Dolphins are winning the division. Because New England will take care of business. They have, I believe, Buffalo and Jacksonville coming up. They're a lock to go and get two more wins. Well, uh, New England's going to be an 11-win team this year. The game between Buffalo and New England will determine the AFCs. Miami's only hope of getting in the playoffs is being a seven seed. And I just want to get through each week with hope. They win the Saint game, then you got hope going to Nashville. And I'm just throwing this out there. Because I don't know if it's going to be confirmed yet. If the Dolphins have a legitimate shot to get in the playoffs. And I'm not talking about like they need like 10 zillion things to happen plus a win. I'm not going down to South Florida for that. If they are winning in against the Patriots, they're winning in. I think we're taking the show on the road in week seven, week 18, whatever the hell it is. I think we'll take the show on the road. But long way to go before that's going to be the case. And as far as Buck, listen, you should be as giddy as humanly possible as a Met fan. Because they've made every move that makes sense, that's practical, that suits a win-now mentality. We've been commentating from afar. Go get Max Scherzer, they do it. Go get a center fielder, they do it. Go get the ready-made New York Tide manager, they do it. Mets are having as good an offseason as anybody in baseball. Find me a team that's having a better offseason than the Mets. Can't do it. Can't do it. All right, last but not least. What up, JJ? This is Joe from Brooklyn. You know, I don't want to stroke you too much, but I listen to the pod every single day with my morning cup of coffee. Whenever there's a pod out, I'm listening. New York appreciates you despite your Dolphins fandom, although that doesn't bother me too much as a Giants fan, so I close an eye to it. That said, I got two points on the Knicks I'd like to make. I want to hear your thoughts. But the first one is a note of gratitude. Thank God someone's got the same take as I do on Bing Bong. All right, I'm done with it. We're barely in playoff contention. I don't need to hear Bing Bong off a free throw when we're down six in the second quarter. I'm hoping that they retire it and then maybe in the playoff run bring it back. I'm totally with you. We just look as dumb as ever with that. But my next point is on Kemba Walker, and this is what I really want to hear your thoughts on. So, granted, he's been a disappointment, but at the same time, we shouldn't be totally surprised, right? And right now, we just have to work with what we have, disregarding potential trade opportunities. If you ask me, I think what we're doing with Kemba is a disservice. 
uh, the stats prove it. Like when he's playing, we have a better record. I think, and I'd like to hear your take on this. I think we should start with Kemba, a combination of Kemba next to IQ or Fournier to start the game and lean on Kemba for most of the first half. Of course, you take him out or whatnot, but then work towards ending with D Rose and then a combination of him with IQ or Burks, depending on what we need between shooting or defense, depending on the game situation. I just think that by throwing Rose out there more than we need to, we're driving the old man into the ground way too early. And again, this goes back to my concerns with Tom, um, with Thibodeau as a coach. You know, he's a good defensive mind, but his substitutions and some of his decisions are suspect. Kind of want to know your thoughts on leaning on Kemba more than what we have. Uh, take care, bud. I appreciate you. Well, I appreciate you. That's number one. The Knicks are in a very awkward predicament with Kemba Walker. And Saturday night, he got the opportunity to play because basically the entire team is in COVID protocols. You have Derek Rose out with an injury. And I had a feeling in Boston he was going to ball out in a big way. And Kemba Walker, give him credit. The guy hasn't played in a month. He hasn't said anything. He's not been a malcontent in media and lashing out and whatnot. Let his play do the talking. But basically made it clear after the game. He said, look, I'm here to play. So if it's not going to be with the Knicks, it's got to be somewhere else. For the time being, with all these guys in protocols, there is opportunity for Kemba Walker. But with the Knicks basically banishing him out of the rotation over the last three or four weeks, can you see a way he ultimately gets back in it permanently for the remainder of the season? I don't. Because I kind of get the sense that the Nick Brass and the front office and the head coach basically made up their mind that they're done with Kemba Walker. Because you don't sit a player like that for a month, basically keep him, cast him aside, not play him, kind of humiliate him and embarrass him. And then all of a sudden say, hey, you're welcome back with open arms. We're going to count on you. We're going to need you for the rest of the year. Some point this year, Kemba Walker will be a former member of the New York Knicks. Played well Saturday night. And it does have you wondering if potentially he could have made a difference in a couple of these games that the Knicks fell short in. That's number one. Number two, they need to have a big week coming up. They have some winnable games on the schedule. Now, the NBA, like all these sports, they're going through this COVID hell. So the Knicks are going through it. I mean, the Nets basically have like three games postponed and canceled. How about Kyrie, by the way? Kyrie, they announced he's coming back and he's going to play in road games, which is not the least bit surprising that the Nets are caving on this because you need bodies, you need dudes. I'm sure Kevin Durant was instrumental in this idea of like ramping up. Hey, let's get Kyrie back. Let's get him on the court. Let's have him go and play in road games. Wonderful. Well, he ends up in the health and safety protocols. And considering he's unvaccinated, uh, it's going to take a little bit more time before we see Kyrie Irving on the floor. So listen, it's a mess. It is a mess from an NBA standpoint. Hopefully the Nets get back on the court sooner rather than later. I mean, they basically played Saturday night. It was a joke. They played like seven guys. I mean, basically was signing guys off the street to go and play in that game against the Orlando Magic. But that's the world we live in. But for the Knicks, I saw Trey Young just ended up in the protocols. He's probably not playing on Christmas Day. You got the Pistons on the schedule. That is one of the worst teams in the NBA. 
Like, the Knicks need to go and, and rattle off, like, five out of seven wins. Pistons at home, Wizards at home, Hawks, Timberwolves, Pistons, Thunder. Go give me a nice four and two, five and one stretch. The Knicks need that. They need a pick-me-up going into the end of 2021 to kick off 2022. Because right now, there's not a lot of good feel and good vibes and the stuff that we were accustomed to seeing last year. Not really seeing it with this franchise. All right, we'll come back. We'll give you a couple of picks because we got multiple games on Monday and Tuesday. So we'll try to figure out what we're going to do with all of them. Trying to figure out COVID protocols is an absolute mess. And Jeff Money is going to weigh in on the proceedings. Jeff Money, take it away. What up, JJ? Jeff Money here with a handicapper pick. This is to finish out the week number 15. So I got a Monday game and a Tuesday game for Monday night. Tomorrow night, I'm going to go with the Minnesota Vikings minus the six and a half over the Bears. And I want to throw in a Tuesday game because we've got a game to choose from. I'm going to take the Philadelphia Eagles minus the six and a half over Washington. Again, two plays. Monday night, Monday, I'm going to take the Vikings minus the six and a half. And Tuesday, I'm going to take the Eagles minus the six and a half. Okay, JJ, I'm out of here. Let's go. You know, Jeff Money, I was very tempted to be on the Chicago Bears, but with all the craziness of the COVID protocol and basically having no idea who's suiting up for them tomorrow night, I'm staying off that game. What I am going to do, though, I'm taking the Cleveland Browns laying to three against Vegas because I look at Vegas, they look like a team to me that has quit on the year. And now that the Brownies are getting a bunch of the guys back out of the COVID protocols because they moved this game to Monday night, I think it ends up working in their favor. I think the Raiders were put at a disadvantage by moving this game a couple of days, but I don't think their mental space is where it needs to be. I'm all over Cleveland. That's the game I'm playing on Monday night. And we're heads up in that Washington-Philly game because of the fact that Washington's getting a ton of guys back off of the COVID list. Again, them moving these games. I would have been on Seattle. Maybe on Sunday because the Rams are going to be missing a ton of guys. Now it looks like the Rams are getting a bunch of guys back. Don't know who Seattle's going to have a wide receiver. So I, I can't feel good about that game. I think Washington, though, getting guys back, getting six and a half. Remember, line went from seven and a half to six and a half, and everybody's betting the Philadelphia Eagles. So I'll give you the Browns lane three, and I'll give you the football team plus six and a half. So I'm heads up with you on one particular game, and then we're uh, going in opposite directions for the other half of Monday Night Football. Now, because of our holiday schedule, there will not be a Tuesday pod this week. So, guys, our holiday schedule for the next two weeks, we will do Sunday and Thursday pods. So, don't worry. We'll have you covered. Football Sundays, Joe B., Arthur Caesar, all the good stuff that we normally do. We'll be rocking and rolling. But no Tuesday pod this week. No Tuesday pod next week. And then when we kick off the new year, we're back to business as usual. So, fellas, outstanding job. We're back on Thursday. Enjoy a couple of days of hiatus, ladies and gentlemen. JJ out. Be good, everybody.